KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Everyone is anxious for the return of sports. It really has left a gaping hole in our society, not having sporting events to watch. Now, there's the return of pro sports, and then there's the return of college sports. And for our purposes with this podcast, we're going to focus on the college ranks because the American College Health Association recently released some guidelines about what they think universities should be thinking about, have in place from a health and safety standpoint before we see college athletics in the fall. And when you read their guidelines, you realize it's going to be a pretty tall order to get everything in place where you can have athletic competition in the age of COVID-19. So it was a lot of information. We wanted to get clarity and break it down. So we reached out to friend of the podcast, Dr. Karen Weaver. She is an associate clinical professor of sport management at Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business. She actually recently wrote a column in Forbes kind of breaking down these guidelines and what they mean. So give a listen. Good conversation. All right, so there obviously are a lot of people that are very anxious to get sports, to get college sports back with an eye towards the fall. Uh, it was interesting. I was looking at your column that you wrote in Forbes talking about the, the guidelines that were recently released by the American College Health Association on how you get to that point for college athletics in the fall. Uh, first of all, kind of talk about the basics of these guidelines and what they are saying you have to do if you want to have uh, college athletics coming back. So the College Health Association took a look at, at some key areas, and I synthesized them in my article. And basically, there's five basic article, five basic things that athletic departments should be doing right now. Number one, they should be assembling a COVID-19 action teams and creating an action plan. And this team is a really broad team. It has the athletic director, the athletic trainer, the team physician, a head coach representative, a strength coach representative, a student health services representative, university emergency preparedness representative, student athletes, counseling services, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it gets you all those voices in the room so that they can all be, bring their expertise to the table. That's number one. The second thing you need to do is ramp up your education and training for your sports medicine staff and including things like basic life support, AED, fibrillator training, and resuscitation training for potential COVID-19 patients. We're used to thinking about that kind of, that kind of physical interaction for basic folks, but if someone is potentially COVID-19 positive, you're going to, to completely change up your your uh, mechanisms for implementing that particular medical um, integration. They also recommend that you look at the transport, the assessment and the testing of student athletes or staff who have potential COVID-19 illnesses. How will you need to manage the, uh, the event around that, that parameter? Um, Two of the things I thought were most interesting was this managing of two different types of PPE, the personal protective equipment, for medical staff, custodial staff, and the pre-participation examinations. So the PPE is, do you have enough? Can you get enough to cover not just daily, but maybe even incident by incident so that you don't have staff feel that they are unprotected on the front lines? Um, 
but also this idea of pre-participation examinations that should no longer be done as the whole team shows up and we do go walk you through stations, but it should be done in an individual way. And then schools will need to decide if they want to include COVID-19 testing for antigens and or antibodies, and then decide if every athlete needs to be tested and how frequently. And then, and this is a really key point, I don't think a lot of people have talked about this, the medical staff should carefully review each athlete for the presence of underlying health conditions that places the individual at higher risk for COVID-19 before allowing them to even begin practicing. The next next step is assessing the the very real potential for COVID-19 transmission between sports, whether it's team versus an individual sport, sports that are contact versus non-contact, major spectator versus non-spectator, and the unavoidable distance practices that happen by nature of sports like soccer, basketball, wrestling, and football. Then you need to decide what to do in things called ball transfer sports, where we share a common ball, we move the ball around practice. And then how do you manage cleaning of shared equipment in sports like gymnastics and track and field, where you're working on the same, um, you know, different uh, bars and things like that at the same at the same time or right after each other. And finally, and this is a huge problem in sports like football, how do you, do you have the resources to consistently monitor social distancing of all participants, including sideline personnel and other spectators at practices and games? How many staff can you devote to this? And are you willing to take that responsibility on? Think about the number of people that just attend a football practice. And how do you keep those people six feet apart consistently? I also noticed that the American College Health Association talked about the entire facility, looking at team meeting rooms, locker rooms, athletic training rooms, strength and conditioning rooms, academic meeting rooms and study areas. If you've got a team meeting room for 35 and you have 35 athletes that need to attend that meeting, how do you manage that? Do you split them in half? Do you have two different meetings? So then once you've devised strategies for all of that, you need to merge those plans with other areas of campus regarding dining hall, living arrangements. If you travel to away games, where are you traveling to? If someone gets sick on the road, what do you do? Those kinds of things are some of the basics I talked about in my article. You bring up so many points. And this is like I've people that listen to our podcast, I've probably said this to eight, ten different guests. Every string you pull leads to four other strings. And as someone who has traveled with teams, you know, for weekends, for games and stuff like that, you talk about the social distancing and just what's running through my mind is, does this mean every, there's kids don't share rooms anymore on the road? So you're doubling your hotel costs for some sports. I think that would be a hurdle, but not insurmountable. You talk about football, you're talking possibility of upwards of a hundred rooms. And now all of a sudden you're talking about, are you, are you able to stay where I know these are very small things on the list of our society, but you know, team meals, does everybody just eat their meal in a room? They come down maybe in groups of three and get their food and go up. It, there's just so many things that just makes this, this is a really tall hill that schools are going to have to climb, isn't it? Regardless of whether they go point by point through guidelines like this or create their own. 
Yeah, I, I think it is because so much, at least the public rhetoric that I've heard around this has been about, we have to get fans back in the stadiums. When will the fans come back? And I think it's important to look at it from a perspective of a practice facility and who comes in and out of a practice facility and the exposure that anybody who comes into there, whether they're, you know, a media member or a, or an athletic trainer or a doctor, what they're putting themselves at risk to, to happening just because they walked in the door. And we just haven't had that with any other kind of athletic related injury or illness that I'm aware of. Yes, people get the cold and flu, but we know how to manage that. And that's what's different about this is that it has so many threads, as you said, and you've got a, you've got um, respiratory issues that come out of this. You've got cardiovascular issues that can come out of this. You've got neurological issues that can come out of this. And so it's got so many more unknowns versus knowns. And I think that's what makes it so unsettling. I genuinely think most places would do as much as they could to make this happen. I, even someone as cynical as me, I've been around enough that I think you would see almost across the board good faith efforts to try to make everybody comfortable and make everybody feel good. Then that goes to doing this is not cheap trying to adjust everything on the fly here. You mentioned PPE and stuff like that, but you just think you're going to have to quadruple what you spend on custodial costs because you're going to be, it's going to be a 24 seven of certain aspects of your athletic facilities and stuff like that. When you talk about costs like that and the chant, the reality that most athletic departments are going to have shortfalls because of fewer kids and, if they're online and, you know, there's just so many, Not let's just say the money they've already lost from the spring, from not having NCAA tournament, stuff like that. Uh, how realistic do you think it is that, that schools will be able to financially do what needs to be done? Or do you think it would be something that would be piecemeal kind of across the board? Athletics is a very interdependent enterprise. We need each other, right? In order to have competition, we've got to be able to play against multiple teams. And that's one of the things that's so frustrating about this, uh, the way this virus has rolled out, is it has impacted different states, different regions, um, differently than other parts. So we might, your school might be located in a region that's being heavily hit by by COVID-19. So all the resources are going to the hospitals as they should. So are you in a position to draw away from that in order to get PPE for your athletic training staff? I don't know. Conversely, you might be in a part of the country where there's very little problem and getting access to those kinds of things might not be either a financial or a moral dilemma. Um, I don't know that we'd want to have um, a college football team at odds with a medical center over who gets the PPE first, just because football's in season. I don't know that higher education wants to put itself in that, in that position, but your other point about finance, this is going to cost more. There is just simply no, this, the amount of testing that would need to be done in this situation. Do we, do we test once a day, every other day? Do we just, just, just test certain people who show symptoms? We know that's not a great way to do it. Do we test um, only certain teams and not other teams? Because the, the testing at this point seems to be a finite quantity as well. We've already started, and when we had our, our discussion before, kind of talked about the possibilities of athletics in a lot of places being shuttered or cut back. And we've seen that kind of 
piecemeal. But one of the interesting things you've seen, there's been some discussion, I think it was the Big Ten, that, well, we wouldn't need all the schools to play for us to have a a season. I don't – I think that's something that's easy to say in May to – get everybody excited that well there's going to be something to to watch i don't that doesn't seem very feasible when you start to look at it realistically am i missing something well it all depends on on the the uh, modification of ncaa guidelines for postseason competition and football is so different because really if uh, division one fbs football falls outside of the ncaa's oversight and control so really, it's up to the conferences to decide how they want to determine their conference champion and how they want to how they want to proceed. But um, FCS, which is where you know Villanova is and some other school uh, you know schools in the area, they they do have an NCAA structure that they have to follow. That's the same thing as as Temple's field hockey team or or a soccer team because they too want to be able to compete for the postseason. So, what does their schedule have to look like? In, in 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 the day and age where flying isn't going to be easy, staying in hotels isn't going to be easy because we don't know how many hotels are going to be open up in the area you want to come to. Um, you know, keeping people safe in that environment. Is it better to put a team on the plane and fly them to Houston to play a game, or is it better to drive an hour up the road and have them play Lehigh? Uh, you know, those kinds of things are those acceptable in terms of NCAA postseason um, structures that are set up. So how does this play out? I honestly don't know. And I know you hear all the, even at the pro level, you hear all these discussions. Oh, they're going to come back in, in July and they've agreed on this. And it seems to me a lot of this stuff is easy to feel good about in May when you're looking at the fall. But like I said, when you start to kind of put it together and, and boots on the ground and how we're going to do this, it becomes way more daunting to have anything like we're used to when it comes to, say, fall collegiate sports, no? Well, I think the the one mistake that I see people making right now is they're trying to link professional sports and college sports as one, one big decision that can be made. And I see the entities as two very different entities. A professional sports team has one team to think about, that program, that facility, that stadium, and they can control the environments they go to in other places. College sports is very different. There's multiple entry points and there's multiple extraneous factors that can play a role in this. So I think we would be wise to limit our discussions to the professional sports side of the season and then decide what can colleges do because of all the other factors that weigh on colleges. Do we have students back on campus? Where are they living? Um, where, you know, where are they able to access access their their athletic trainers, can they do it in a safe way? The NFL and other major league franchises can organize that so much better, especially the NFL, because they just simply play one day a week. That's just less complex. A college athletic facility might have uh, athletes in it six days a week. It's just a different different parameter. So to bring it back to the guidelines that we started talking about, you, you kind of boiled it down to the five things. Of those, which do you think is the highest hurdle – to climb, which is the one that if schools were to kind of use this as their guide back to quote unquote normalcy, which is the one that you think will hold the most people back? Well, my first hope is that they sit down and, ha- and discuss the, having this action plan and creating an action committee, because I think having all those voices at the table 
will help people see things from different perspectives. And I think we're still all in our own little tunnels right now, thinking about what's best for us, not considering all the other points. So once they do that, I think the issue really becomes clearing athletes to safely play. And how do you monitor that on a daily basis? And I think it comes down to, like everything else these days, personal protective equipment and whether the athletes have any underlying um, health conditions that might limit their ability to compete safely. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 